At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is... Does <laughs> my hair look okay? It's my name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So, we promised we'd have you back. You were on our roundup. Um, thank you for that. And then you're like, look, Robbie, I can't come on your podcast until the middle of October because I'm gone. I am chasing elk and put a couple of elk on the, in the dirt. I have. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, elk season's a limited amount of time here, so you can't really plan too much else uh, until you get the elk down. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I got a, I got a bowl in Colorado, um, just an over the counter public land. Amazing. Hunt. Um, that's a tough hunt. It seems like it gets yes, tougher sir. every year. Um, but and I had about eleven days of hunting in before I uh, before I, I killed a, a good a decent bull. So amazing. Happy to put him down. Then I went up to Montana and hunted uh, just a general. Just had a general tag up there. I had these plans. Well, my Colorado hunt was a was a solo backpack hunt. In Montana, I had planned to go with a couple of friends, and one of them maybe used his llamas. So it was going to be a little 
it, kind of a luxury hunt for me <laughs> compared to the backpack and having the llamas. But um, you're going to use Mike Matronella's llamas? No, it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, front of mine up there. But he he was actually still helping a couple other guys with their hunt, and it went longer than planned. Um, mm. So, and I had kind of that week that I needed needed to go. So ended up backpacking in solo seven miles and uh, killing a bull there and um and i did one load of meat out you know seven miles and then i found a guy with some horses to help me for the uh the other two other two loads of meat so absolutely but yeah well uh bill funder hayden did i get it right this time uh vander hayden not bad pretty close vander hayden sorry i totally butchered the first time i said it (laughs) totally butchered it welcome to the blood origins podcast uh very fortuitous timing to have a engineering uh student of arrow architecture is that a a a descriptive enough term of of what you do yeah kind of a at this point i'm really pretty much a bow hunting engineer you know i engineer broadheads um and now i'm kind of looking at the whole arrow you know system components Mm -hmm. um what it takes to have good stability good flight with broadheads and just you know, a lot of what I do with the broadhead, you know, blades and, and materials and things, which is just to be as lethal as possible. And I'm just trying to continue that with components and other things. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's all about trying to engineer, use science, apply science to be, to make the, the best products possible so that bow hunters can be more effective, more lethal. Get, get the and job the arrows done. are, it's, and you are the CEO and owner of Iron Will Outfitters and you have been known for your broad heads and now you're getting into, as you said, different, different components associated with the, the arrow architecture itself. Yeah. So we've been doing, um, broad heads for about, about five years. And some of the products we've added since then are impact collars, hit inserts. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've done a lot of studying of like, what does it take to be extremely accurate, you know, with fixed blade heads out, you know, to a hundred yards really. Mm-hmm. And so just studied the aerodynamics of the arrow and testing a lot of veins. And so I'm trying to, you know, I think the broadheads was kind of number one for me to make one that performed better, got, could get through bone, could get through an elk scapula, get a pass through, you know, make sure you're making it to the vitals, um, stay sharp, not bend or break. So, you know, I spent a lot of years developing that. And that's basically what our product line is. What we're kind of known for is, is, um, yeah, premium broadheads that are, you know, very durable, very sharp, retain edge, uh, going through bones. And yeah, word of mouth is spread. And we've just grown a lot based on that. But at this point, I'm trying to extend it. And we've come up with different series of our heads. Um, initial ones were vented and mm-hmm. then solid and then single bevel to, mm-hmm. where you can get that rotation. And then our wide series and um, some crossbow heads as well. Mm-hmm. And um, introduce some components, hit inserts, impact collars. Um, I've done some ultralight knives too. Since I do a lot mm-hmm. of backpack hunting, I wanted like a one ounce knife that I could completely, you know, skin, quarter, debone an elk um, and still have some edge left, you know, mm-hmm. do a beer or two if mm-hmm. I needed to before sharpening. Um, Bill, as a, maybe a fundamental question, if there's non-hunters and, you know, the odd anti-hunter that listens to this podcast, why are you interested in making your arrows more lethal? Yeah, you know, I think um, bow hunting, it takes 
well, how should I say this? I've been a rifle hunter as well. I haven't rifle hunted probably in 12 years, but I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up, I grew up doing both and it's pretty quick to hand somebody a gun and teach them how to use it and have them be able to shoot a deer at say hundred yards. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they still got to control their nerves and make a good mm-hmm. shot. You know, it's not like it's, I'm not going to say it's easy, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a lower level of investment kind of in your knowledge of your gear and your form, all those things. Um, archery hunting, there's a lot that can go wrong. There's a lot that you kind of have to kind of master. Um, and so we want people to be effective, right? We don't want to wound animals. We right. want to make shots. We want to, um, we want people to be successful out there. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of knowledge to that. You know, it's hard to be, it's hard to just say, I want to become a bow hunter and like, you know, in a, mm-hmm. a week or something, actually be a bow hunter. It's, um, you know, a lot of practice with your form, knowing your bow and equipment, having it sized right for you, having the arrow right for the bow, um, you know, broadhead right for the game. And then, you know, there's, there, there's a lot of mechanical engineering in there, um, in the, in the arrow flight and, and things. And not everybody's going to be a mechanical engineer and ex, ex, understand it to the fine detail but mm-hmm. i think i mean that's where guys like me come in that we are trying to understand all the science and how to apply it and then try and break it down and make it understandable so that people can you know implement it and be more effective bill in your thought process behind the science of engineering that arrow to be more lethal is your thought process more about success and maybe they're mutually exclusive here more about success for the individual who's using your arrowhead or ethics tied to the animal and being more lethal to the animal yeah um yeah i think you as the engineer thinking about it you know yeah i think probably um not having the failure is is more important because a failure is probably a wounded animal. And so mm-hmm. that's, I mean, to me, that's what really got me into this um, business. You know, I'd been a mechanical engineering, a mechanical engineer developing products for years at a, at a high level for, for different companies. Um, and then I had a, an elk fail, uh, a broadhead fail to penetrate an elk shoulder blade. You know, it was a low cost, you know, kind of cheaper broadhead. Um, it was, it was pretty standard at the time, um, but it failed. It, it, I'm not sure if it bent or broke, but it did not penetrate the elk shoulder blade. Wounded the elk, um, probably lived, but I don't know for sure. But, you know, I spent days looking for it, and it really kind of tore me up that, wow, I was so close. I, right, right. I've been working so hard to get that shot. I made that shot on this big, beautiful animal, and now, you know, I wounded it and got away. So, um I think I know that bothers me a ton when I wound an animal. Um, why do, why do we not hear of that more, Bill? Like that to me is like front and center in the hunting community, right? That this idea of wounding an animal and trying to find it and not finding it is like, it, it's heartbreaking. It tears well, your heart out. Yeah, I think there's, you know, the negative about it is you talk about wounding an animal and then it, it maybe it's um, ammunition for anti-hunting people to mm-hmm. say, Mm-hmm. We shouldn't let people hunt because they wound animals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think there's some that's probably at the top of some people's heads. 
um, it's painful to talk about. So if people are, you know, if you, if what, what does somebody want to talk about with their hunting season? Well, probably their success and not so much their failures maybe, but, um, to me, it's what drove me. It's what created this fire, you know, to make something better. Um, and yeah, because I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a fine line between what could have been very successful, um, you know, got the elk, mm-hmm. all that hard work paid off to didn't get the elk, didn't, didn't mm-hmm. penetrate that shoulder blade, um, didn't get to the vitals. And um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of, you know, lost sleep for, uh, for some time there. Um, yeah. It's, it's pay. I mean, I would say as bow hunters, as hunters in general, I mean, we really care about the animals we're hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have a vested interest in their, you know, health and population is doing well. We'd like to see them. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's kind of funny. And I've had this debate a little bit with, with, uh, an animal rights person. It's like, um, Hey, I love animals too. I just, you don't, I kill and eat one once in a while. I know you don't mm-hmm. understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really do love the animals too. And we want to see them do well. We don't want to wound them. You know, it bothers us as well. So, I mean, that's all the reasons I guess why I think being lethal is very important. And I think people, you know, I think there's a lot of people probably feel like me about it. They don't want to wound an animal. They're going to quit hunting if, if they're going to wound animals more than, than, than kill them, you know, quickly and ethically. So right, right. it's important for that, all that reason. So Bill, without getting into any of your trademark secrets or anything that you have, like in the broadhead itself, can you talk through a couple of the elements of the broadhead that you have specifically engineered to be more lethal, to be more effective, to reduce the failure that then almost correlates to wounding and loss of the animal? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, originally I was just going for durability and to do that, it, um, you know, using thicker blades with out of a tool steel, um, does it mean a heavier blade or just does a different type of material? Um, it's both the thickness of the both. blades. You know, typically um, the blades I was using when I had that failure were probably 30 thousandths thick, um, 420 stainless steel. Um, that's what mm-hmm. 90% of the replacement blades out there are probably that or more. Um, probably 95%. And it's just, uh, it's just not, it's, it's an okay steel. It's not really a, you know, a knife maker wouldn't really say it's a blade steel even, but it's probably kind gotcha. of a low end blade steel. And that thickness is, it's going to do fine through a rib or, you know, um, behind the shoulder, no, no bones. Um, mm-hmm. But you hit any kind of a heavy bone and even a rib, it's going to lose, lose the edge and maybe, maybe bend or break, but for sure on a shoulder blade or a very good chance of a shoulder blade, it'll bend or break. So, you know what I went to, I tried, I went, I tested five different steels. Um, I was trying to get high impact strength, you know, just high strength in general, but then also have a good cutting edge. Um, mm-hmm. that I can get very sharp and hold the edge. And what I ended up settling on was A2 tool steel. And that's a steel that's used in metal stamping dies to cut other metals. So, 
And the reason that is is because it can hold an edge really well, um, but yet it can take a, it can take impacts over and over. So it, mm. it's, it can cut metal like you know all day long mm-hmm. and hold that edge. And it, it's kind of unique in that there's there's a bit of a trade off in general with steels. The higher the hardness, um, the lower the toughness or the lower the impact strength. You okay. want that higher hardness so it holds the edge. Right. Um, so A2 tool steel, our blades are 60 Rockwell C hardness. So that's really hard. That's like what custom knife makers are going to target for, you know, a high-end blade that's going to hold that edge really well. Problem is if you go that hard with a stainless steel. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You can't even get that high, probably, Mm -hmm. but if you were that high, it would be extremely brittle. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's one of the engineering things there was... A2 tool steel, 62,000 thick. Um, I do a, a cryogenic treatment to the steel, and that's really the – I'm trying to get the most performance possible out of steel. So it's part of the, the heat treat process. Um, I do a cryogenic treatment and a triple tempering, and that gets the, the best possible performance out of the steel in terms of being able to have the high hardness and excellent toughness. Um, mm-hmm. It's a It's a – it's a very involved process. It's like what you do to like, if you're trying to make the ultimate knife, it's, um, it's expensive. Our broad, you know, broadheads are, um, they're around 35 bucks each. And, uh, you know, so probably three times the average, but it's really an incredible value. If I look at what, what's going into that blade, um, compared to how many times you can use it, right? Yeah. Look after it. A lifetime guarantee. If you bend or break it, you know, shooting out through an animal, we replace it. Um, but it will typically, you'll typically shoot through an animal, whether it's got it through scapula, ribs, hide, whatever, pass through the animal completely, you know, pick it up out of the dirt. If you don't hit a rock, pretty good chance it'll look perfectly new still and be able to shave hair mm. and be able to be used again. Um, that's the, that's like the, most of the time. Well, that's did you I, have, did you do some testing on it? Is there any way, like, you know how the gun manufacturers have like ballistic gels that they shoot things into and see like impact channels. Did you do that with your arrows? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I spent 10 years developing this before I um, actually started the company. I've shot through everything you think of, you know, (laughs) steel, steel plates, uh, plywood, cardboard, ballistic gel. Um, What, and what people don't realize out there a lot, and I didn't really realize it at the beginning either, is that it's so target dependent. Mm-hmm. It is very, a lot of these broadhead tests out there, they're going to shoot through something that's not an animal and then imply something about which broadhead is better than the other. It's so target dependent. That's really, doesn't work very well. Um, mm-hmm. Ballistic gels is an example of that. Almost every broadhead goes through the ballistic gel the same amount, you know, within an inch. Because it's, okay, so okay. it's so much uh, dependent on shaft friction. Right, right, that, right. Um, it doesn't really separate one from another. But there's so many tests out there that use it. Mm-hmm. It's cool to look through and see the channel um, mm-hmm. cut through it. But um, really the best test is animals. 
And what I've done a lot of, um, you know, I'll take the hide, like a whole elk shoulder, say, where I'll have the hide, the meat, the scapula, um, elk or deer or other animals, audit I've done this with, and then measure the force to push down through these things with the broadhead um, with a very sophisticated uh, machine that can, I can control the velocity which I'm pushing down and has a load cell measures force very accurately because really the, uh, an animal, um, the hide, the tissue, the blood, it's the force to go through that is, is different than pretty much anything else. And so it's, uh, it's so target dependent that I've done a lot of mm-hmm. testing like that to identify which design changes will improve this, you know, mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. Well, I started this podcast saying that this was a very fortuitous conversation. And before we got on the podcast, I told you about the situation that's developing in South Australia. So in South Australia right now, the Deputy Premier, her name is Dr. Susan Close, she's in the Labour Party, which is essentially the Democratic Party in Australia. Uh, that's supposed to look after rural affairs of Australians, but tends to forget about them. And uh, she says she is fulfilling an election promise from her from her party that she was going to ban bow hunting in South Australia and the use of crossbows in South Australia. And it all stems from, and there's some controversy around this, naturally, RSPCA put out this big newspaper article that got a little bit of traction about an endangered sea lion with a long bow arrow in its head. Some claim it was actually not in its head, it was placed, it was next to it, whatever you want to believe, conspiracy theory, whatever you want to believe. Um, but is she is moving from- animal. Say that again. Was that a dead animal? That arrow it was a was dead found? animal. Yeah, it was a dead animal. But then there's also been kangaroos found with arrows in it, hopping around, and cockatoo birds flapping their wings with arrows in it. Yeah. And so she has been on the radio in South Australia saying, I'm going to ban bow hunting. And really, her argument comes down to a couple of things. And, and, and really, you're the, the perfect person to answer these questions. And I think we've already answered the first one, which is that. Bow and arrows are not appropriate weapons to be lethal to hunt with. I think we've answered that. Yeah, question. they're. I mean, they're totally lethal. I mean, a, a shot in the right place, and the animal's dead in five seconds. You know, it's it's. You could you could argue that it's the one of the better deaths the animal could could have. You know, I. Uh, you know the, the elk I shot. Um, you know, it it was startled a bit at the, just the noise of the bow, ran 20 yards, looked around, and dropped. You know, it didn't, I don't think, it, it, this. the broadhead zipped through it, and, and my broadhead was stuck. It was a soft log 10 feet past it, but it was buried 8 inches of that log. So you know it went through it extremely fast and with kind of minimal. Now, what, do you, what would you think the, 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 the time spent in the animal? Gosh, hundredth of a second? Yeah, something on that order. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so I've done a little act. bit of research into the, and you may be more familiar with this, Bill, so for, uh, forgive me here, but I did a little bit of research into the whole, like, pain side. So before, before I even do that, the second argument that Susan is making and the RSPC is making is that bow and arrows cause more pain and suffering 
on animals when shot with a bow and arrow. Yeah, I said no way on that one. Um, I uh, so I buried one of our broad one of my broadheads in my thigh one time. Um, it uh, it was a uh, I was doing some lab testing actually, and I was just testing this fixture that I had made. It was a Delrin um, cylinder with a cone cut into one end of it. And it was supposedly, it was supposed to hold the broadhead in place so I could put a side load on the head. And I've just got it in my hands with a, an arrow and a broadhead on it. And I'm pushing up and down on it just to see how well it's gonna hold the broadhead. And I cut through the Delrin and I'm sitting in a chair and I buried that brought in into my, through my blue jeans into my thigh. And um, so I'm looking at this arrow stuck into my leg and I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's so sharp, cuts through so quickly that um, I'm like, Oh no, this thing's in my leg, but it didn't hurt. <laughs> I, I pulled it back out, you know, put some towel over it. Uh, Called one of the guys over and said, you better take me to the ER. I, I was worried it was too close to the mm-hmm. thermal artery, actually. But mm-hmm. it turns out it wasn't, just buried in the muscle. But um, I don't know. I, I think a, sh- a sharp knife, you ever cut your, you ever cut yourself and it takes you a second to like to see? Yeah, it, it goes like, white, right? It just goes yeah. white. You're like, oh, 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 oh. Did now I really just cut my finger? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, so pain, I don't get that at all. You know, I think... And you know what? A bullet's gonna just tear that animal up. I mean, totally. That's gotta be. It's gotta be more painful. It's gotta be more likely to end in. Um, if let's say it's a non-lethal location, I think it's gotta be way more likely to end up in infection and death too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, there's probably studies out there somewhere. I'm just, and I don't know all the all this data. I'm just speculating being a rifle hunter and a bow hunter for many years before just becoming just a bow hunter. Um, man, you can hit them in the wrong spot with a rifle too, of course. And of course. And if you're, if it's a non-lethal, if it's a hit that's not going through, you know, the heart, lungs, liver, intestines, um, or brain, I guess, um, or a major artery, it's, you're probably not going to recover it, right? It's going to live mm-hmm. days. And in that case, I would think that, a slice with a broadhead is a better situation than the damage that a bullet's going to do. Um, mm-hmm. I think the only difference is, is that you can't really see the bullet in something when you might see an arrow that's, you know, that would be stuck in something. Although mm-hmm. it's typically pretty short. Like if you shoot an animal and that like this, you know, elk where I hit the shoulder blade, um, that arrow is, you might run away with it there, but it's not going to stay there either. I mm-hmm. think so. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty rare case where, like, you see an animal wounded with an arrow, but you know that can happen, and I think it definitely gives bow hunting a bad name when it does happen. Yeah, for sure. But no, you're right. That's the 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 research that I've done has shown that if you look at the human literature, when it comes to sharp lacerations or deep penetrating lacerations that is the equivalent of what a bow and arrow is doing on an animal. There is very little to no pain associated with those deep lacerations. And really from a science perspective, from a body perspective, those arrows, what they're doing is causing deep, deep lacerations, which is causing significant blood loss, which leads to hypervolemic shock. Like you mentioned that that elk runs 20 yards, doesn't know what's happening. It loses blood loss up to about 35%, which then 
it becomes extremely weak and slips into unconsciousness straight away, which slips into death right after that. Yeah. And as far as are they as lethal as, as rifles, um, it kind of depends on who's pulling the trigger or shooting the bow, right? Mm, I think they definitely yeah. can they definitely can be just as lethal. Um, you know, I um I think it was the last two years every animal was just a one shot kill and it was dead like in sight. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I, I practice daily. It's, it's kind of my job to uh, make sure I can be effective and the broadheads are flying well and all that. But, um, I don't think I'm the best shot in the world. I just think I practice and, and make, and know my, my, you know, my range and my capabilities in, in conditions. But, you know, what I've done, there's no reason anybody else can't do that either and become very effective. I think, I think both rifle hunting and bow hunting, you know, there's problems that people are out there shooting um, shots they shouldn't be, right? Maybe mm -hmm. it's past their range. Maybe the weather's conditions aren't right for it. Maybe they, um, you know, they're kind of just pushing their capabilities or don't want to admit their capabilities aren't quite what they are. Um, you know, and I, the answer to that is maybe just education on both of them. Um, or maybe there's, you know, you have to take a bow hunting education maybe right. proficiency course, you know, that's right, right. if we got to do anything, you know, I, I push more towards that than to mm -hmm. say like bow hunting is not lethal. Well, it's mm -hmm. totally lethal if it's the, you know, with, with the guy that's proficient with his equipment and has the right equipment for it. Bill, how much do you think in today's social media age of people, I don't know if bragging is the right term here, but bragging that, I'm about to go on this elk hunt. The pressure mounts that you're on this elk hunt. Everyone knows that you're on this elk hunt. And the opportunity arises in which it is a questionable shot. It's a questionable distance. Oh, I don't think I should do it. Yet you do. Because of this, this, for some reason, our community's pressure for... I don't know if it's a pressure for success. We all want to be successful, but at the end of the day, it's hunting and right. failure is inherent to hunting. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a, a personal thing. And I think you, you live with it. If you try and push your capabilities and take a shot that you shouldn't and wound it. Um, to me, that's, uh, it's not worth to me. That's not worth that risk to be to show that I have succeeded on a hunt. You know, um, I, it's, uh, I mean, I've been very successful in recent years, but, um, man, I went on a caribou hunt last year. And I didn't kill a caribou mm -hmm. and man, I wanted to really bad, you know, and I, uh, the first five days I passed up some shots wanting to get a bigger bowl than I had the year prior. Um, but the last five days, you know, the weather turned, it was windy, it was rainy, but, um, and I passed up a lot of longer shots that I just knew the weather wasn't right for. And mm -hmm. it was tough. It was pretty tough to come home without success after I'd filled, I think I had filled every tag for a couple of years prior. Um, but to me, I just know that if I, if I took a shot that I knew was a low percentage shot and wounded the animal, living with that for the year was going to be a lot worse than just not being successful. And to me, you know, I, I've been in bow hunting 40 years. I've had a lot. In, I've had a lot of years where I didn't fill. I've had a lot of tags that haven't been filled over the years, right? Right. And uh, 
especially like 20 years ago when I started elk hunting and I didn't really know what I was doing. I had a lot of techs who, you know, at that <laughs> point, but, um, but you know, and it maybe comes with maturity, but at this point, I, I know that if I'm not successful, if I don't fill my tag, it just, it creates this little fire burning. Like, how am I going to do it better next time? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what do I need to do to up my game? And, and you'll probably uh, practice more, right? And yeah. you'll you'll be more, you know, diligent about practicing, which is, I think, something we glossed over. That bow yeah. hunters like, practice. I want to figure out we what's practice, my practice, practice. Right now, I want to kind of figure. Well, based on the caribou hunt, I want to figure out what's my effective range when I got sideways rain going. You know, she knows pretty dang short, um, right? Yeah. But uh, you know, I've got a wind meter, and I, I kind of know my how much wind drift I get at distance with a certain wind, but I don't really do a lot in rain. So, uh, mm. you know, it's, and, and to be honest, it's, it's uh, when you've got wind and rain, that's a lot of pushing on the side of the arrow and it's not, you yeah, don't want to yeah. shoot more than probably 30 yards. And so, mm. yeah, I had, I had these longer shots that I just was passing up because I just knew it wasn't going to be effective. But anyway, and I, I think, think again, it, 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 I think what, I think a lot of people, like especially in the non-hunting fraternity and the anti-hunting fraternity, it's very diff- it's very easy to say, "Bill, you just decided you didn't want to you didn't pull the trigger because you you didn't want to be unsuccessful." But it's I think it's 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 almost mutually exclusive that you also didn't want to wound the animal. You didn't want to yeah. exert suffering on that animal. You wanted to be clean, quick, as efficient as possible, insight, death, because that to you is the ultimate success. Yeah. Um, yeah, to me, I mean, getting that animal and making, you know, making a good clean shot, good quick kill. I mean, that's what I, that's what I love to see. And that's, you know, that's success for me. That's, that puts me at a high, no matter if it's a little bull or, or a big bull or, or whatever, you know, I, I love bow hunting. I love making a good clean shot, getting the animal quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and just everything related to hunting, you know, um, getting the meat out. I do all my own butchering and taking care of the, the meat. And I was just finished up making a bunch of jerky upstairs before I came down. Um, you know, it's just all part of being a hunter. And, and, and I love it. Um, to me, not being successful. Yeah, that's it's kind of hard to take. But I can take it, you know, I've been there before, but wounding an animal, that's a, that's to me, that's a, that's much worse than just not being, not taking the shot and, mm-hmm. you know, not filling my tag. So, um, and, you know, I think that's the case for a lot of hunters. I don't think people talk about it so much, but. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you're I, always going to have these freaking yahoos in the communities. And as you said, Unfortunately, in a bow hunting scenario, a Yahoo that doesn't know how to appropriately use his bow and arrow does not have the appropriate bow and arrow setup, and it's just, you know, maybe had a couple of drinks with his mates, oh, we're going to shoot that wallaby down the way with the, with the spotlight and sticks it in its ass. Yeah, and it's yeah, visual, right? Probably... The arrow sticking out is visual, unlike a bullet where you don't really see it. Yeah, I mean, anybody doing anything illegal, that's not... At that point, I'm not calling them a hunter. They're just right. They're criminals, and they're gonna right. do. They're gonna do what they're gonna do, and whether it's you know, sh- shooting an animal illegally or or, or whatever. I I don't. 
I, I hate it when people talk about some illegal activity or poaching and say and equate that to hunting because it's yeah. really not. That's a great point. Great point. Yeah. So um, it, it I, I love the fact that you there are people like you, Bill, and others, obviously, in the bow hunting world and the arrow making world and the arrow shaft making world that pretty much have dedicated their lives to make hunters more successful, more lethal, more effective, and at the end of the day, more ethical in terms of taking that animal and it losing its life so that you can take that meat off the mountain and use it for your family. Yeah, I mean, I really have two passions. They're bow hunting and, and good mechanical engineering. And uh, I love that I work on, I do those two things, you know, daily. Um, you know, involved with universities to try and make make us produce better engineering students um, coming out of school. And so, you know, high-level engineering is something I'm passionate about, uh, you know, and bow hunting is as well. And so I, I kind of combine them both together here with, with what I do. And, yeah, I really enjoy it. I bet you you have a bunch of really cool ideas for uh, mechanical engineers' senior design projects um, that they could get into. Yeah, I've actually um, been a part of that for seven or eight years now at the University awesome. of Colorado. Um, I've been an adjunct instructor of mechanical engineering and one been one of the directors for senior design projects. That's awesome. So, yeah, I'm actually sponsoring a project this year. Uh, I'm not quite ready to go into it yet, but it's, oh, no. uh, it's bow hunting related. So, uh, Well, when you get the uh, results, let us know. We'd love to talk about them and tell everyone about, uh, you know, again, why you're doing what you're doing. Because to the end of the at the end of the day, it's to be more ethical in terms of who we are as hunters. Yeah, exactly. Bill, if uh, people are interested in Iron Will, um, Iron Will Outfitters, and what you do and what you sell, uh, where can they find uh, more information about you? Yeah, check out our website, um, IronWillOutfitters.com. If you're on Instagram, um, it's Iron Will Outfitters. There also or Facebook. Um, yeah, we have a YouTube channel too, where you can see some of our videos, our products, our, our hunts, things like that. So yeah, any of those places will work or, or call our, um, you know, look up our website, call our main number. If you have questions, we have some great tech support to help people with their arrow setups, their, which broadhead to use. And, you know, if you just want to know, like, is this the right arrow for my bow? We'll, we'll help you through any of that too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, bow tuning advice, whatever. So we're just trying to help people be, be more lethal, more effective. Amazing. Bill, always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, when that senior design project's ready, come back on, okay? Yeah, sounds good. Will do. All right, Thanks, well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at that Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.